0: Our lesson this morning is from Joshua chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Teram, and his sons Abraham and Nahor." "'lived beyond the Euphrates, and served other gods. "'Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river "'and led him through all the land of Canaan "'and made his offspring many. "'I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. "'I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, "'but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. "'Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt.' with what I did in its midst, and afterwards I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. When they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did to Egypt." Afterwards, you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived in the other side of Jordan. They fought with you, and I handed them over to you, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then King Balak, son of Zeher of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent and invited Bahem saw son of the bear to curse you. But I would not listen to Ba'am. Therefore I he blessed you. So I rescued you out of his hand. When you went over to the Jordan and, became, and came to Jericho, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gershites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I handed them over to you. I sent the Hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the two kings of Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you to a land on which you had not labored, and towns that you had not built, and you live in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive groves that did not that you did not plant. Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now if you are willing to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region, beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me,
1: my household, we will serve the Lord. Here ends the reading. Thank be to God. You all can't see it, and you probably shouldn't. You shouldn't look outside, because the snow is starting to accumulate on the, on the trees out there. Uh, so Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, I usually take the Sunday before Consecration Sunday and uh, write a stewardship sermon and uh, talk about all of the things that are happening here at Shepherd and all of the things that God is calling to, calling us to. I'm not going to do that this year. Instead, I'm going to condense it into one small brief announcement at the beginning of the sermon instead. Um, And so I'll just say this, I am, uh, as always, incredibly grateful for all of our staff and for the ministry that they carry out, from Pastor Joanna to Kevin, our custodian, to Sean in our office, Brian, Kay, uh, Emily, and David, and all the work that each of them do, uh, from Sunday morning to Wednesday to funerals and everything in between. People come here, and they feel welcomed, and I am always grateful. And I think they leave feeling like they've been loved, and I think in great part that's because of their work. So I'm grateful. Thank you. I'm also grateful for our church council. Uh, If you've ever served on church council before, you will know that it is many hours of reading and thinking and being together and uh, discerning who we are as a family of faith. I'm grateful for all of them and for the time that they have given I'm grateful for all of the people that volunteer. I'm just curious if you have ever or are currently somehow volunteering at Shepherd. Would you raise your hand? One of the things that I one of the things I find so interesting about Shepherd is when I ask that question. There are hardly anybody in the congregation who doesn't raise their hand. Uh, almost everyone has a role to play here in our family, and I am so very grateful. Would you give each of those groups of people a round of applause and appreciation this morning? My my announcement and my ask, then, is this. It's very simple. In order for us to continue to grow and expand the ministry that we are being called to uh, in the next year, in 2019, we need to continue to grow our financial giving to keep pace. We need approximately $20,000 extra to move forward. And what that means, it almost all translates into staff time. 70% of our budget is spent paying our staff. So... I'm so glad when you all said yes when Kathy wondered if we could get by without uh, financial resources. No, because then we wouldn't eat. So we're grateful. Uh, We need to continue to grow our financial stewardship for these reasons, to continue to grow our elementary school programs, our young adult programs, and our electronic media presence out in the world. One of the things that we know is that average worship attendance these days is about 1.5 times per month. And so if we aren't present somewhere out in the ethernet of uh, the internet, People are not connected when they're gone, and that's such an important part of our ministry together. So I am asking for everyone to consider the possibility of growing their pledges for the next year to make all of those things possible. End of stewardship sermon for 2018. Thanks be to God, right? (laughs) Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yesterday morning at uh, 9.15, I had the chance to watch my three-year-old niece play her first soccer game. (laughs) If you've ever watched three-year-olds play soccer, it is spectacular. Uh, They have a ball that's tiny. I think it says size 4 on it. It's about this big. And the people that are out on the field chasing that ball aren't much bigger. And my niece at three years old is one of the smallest. She is in the bottom two percentile for height and weight. She is a peanut. Uh, I think the ball might actually outweigh her. And the best part about this, and I'm sure many of you have seen this happen before, is that watching three-year-olds play soccer is just like watching a swarm of little people chase around the ball. They, they're just There's the ball, and they just kind of all follow it around. Uh, Although, on the other team, there was one girl in particular who was especially speedy and aggressive, and she would get the ball and then take it all by herself while everybody else just stood and watched, go down to the other end and score. And then the great part is they all ran down and high-fived her, both teams, it was just, it was the best ever. Uh, The other great thing about it is that, um, that I thought was so great, is that my niece, who I'm sure has been told not to take things that weren't hers, when she was being told to get the soccer ball away from somebody else, said, "'But Mom, that's not very nice.'" <laughs> And I thought, well, good grief, that is awfully spectacular. Uh, in fact, she, she got kind of confused about the way the game was being played, and she came off to the sideline. And in fact, at one point, there was only one kid from my uh, niece's team that was still on the field with five others from the other team, and they were asking for their parents to come out and help because they, fe- <laughs> they felt overwhelmed. So... I tell you that because it is, as I'm sure many of you know, an incredible joy to watch the world through the eyes of a three-year-old. The world is a beautiful and amazing place. Uh, And I find it amazing that at three, she tells her parents, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take the soccer ball away because that's not nice. I tell you that to tell you this. This the stark contrast and juxtaposition of my adult listening life these days. I tell you that story, and I hope it sounds hopeful and fun, because this one did not. As I get in the car and I'm listening to talk radio, I'm listening to NPR, and somebody gets on the the radio program, and it's a call-in show, and somebody starts describing Brett Kavanaugh as evil and wicked a spoiled, rotten, rich kid who has gotten away with. And I just sat in the car for just a second with the eyes and ears of my three-year-old niece. And the juxtaposition was so startling and stark that my adult ears were hearing things that if they would have come out of the mouth of my three-year-old niece would have been unimaginable. In same juxtaposition, earlier in the week, I got an email from a friend of mine, and I love this person with all my heart, and we will go have lunch and have a conversation. It was an email with a picture of a Kentucky Fried Chicken billboard, but all the words had been changed. Instead, what it said is, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taylor Swift Special, two bony thighs, two small breasts, one left wing. And then at the bottom was an asterisk, and it said, notice there is no head on the menu. H- how is it appropriate that we talk about a dismembered woman's body for some sort of political means? Filter that through the eyes and the ears of a three-year-old playing soccer for just a second, would you please? Please. If we are anything in the world, are we not, as people of God, called to be God's hands and feet and voice in the world? Are we not, in fact, called to stop for just a second in the midst of our adult chaotic lives of chasing around the soccer ball or whatever we call it, to pause for just a second, and when we hear such name-calling say something... I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but I did the other day, and it was startling. Have you noticed how often our discourse has suddenly devolved into just name-calling and personal character attacks? Simple name-calling and personal character attacks, I would describe them as trying to be both cunning and violent. Can you yourselves hear the political ads on the TV through the eyes and the ears of a three-year-old child? And why is it, why is it that we hold three-year-olds to a higher standard than the standards for which we hold ourselves and other adults in our current political discourse? I'm reminded that I'm not particularly smart, and it's helpful to have rubrics that remind us of who God calls us to be. If we are called to be God's hands and feet and voice in the world, what is it that God calls us to do? We've all wandered through the Ten Commandments at some point in our lives, and this one just keeps coming back. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. We gather together on Sunday morning to remind us of who we are and who God calls us to be. The Eighth Commandment is quite straightforward. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I love Luther's explanation. We are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors betray, or slander them, or destroy their reputations. But instead, God calls us to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. I'm not going to take the soccer ball, Mom. It's not very nice. I think part of the problem is our worldview. We might call it in church theology, but the other thing I think about is worldview. We often live in the illusion and the culture of self-made independence, which I think can often lead to sort of an arrogant self-righteousness. What I found so unbelievable about reading the stories of the Old Testament is how often the story reminds the people in the Old Testament, those Israelites wandering around, to remember that they were once slaves And how often what comes up is it's not their victory, it is God's victory that is given to them as a gift. In today's story, if you just read it just as an outline, and just instead of, it's (laughs) Joshua says, thus saith the Lord, and so it says, I did this and I did this. But if you read it through the lens of it's God doing it, it sounds something like this. God took Abraham from from beyond the river. God made a promise to Abraham to be a people, With a land. God gave to him Isaac and Esau, his children. God gave Esau the hill country, and God brought Jacob to Egypt. God gave the people Moses. God brought you out of slavery. God handed over to you the land on which you live. God gave you the vineyard that you did not plant, and God gave you a home that you live in but you did not build. The worldview for those people who are wandering around as Israelites, it is a God-filled place where God has gifted them with every good thing. It is a God-filled place where they are the recipients and stewards of all of the gifts that God has so graciously given to them. It is a worldview of gratitude and humility. To drive home this point just one step further, let me ask as a family of faith here at Shepherd of the Hills by show of hands, who knows the name of the architect that designed the sanctuary in which you sit this morning all warm and dry from the snow? Who knows the name of the architect? I know there's a few of you. We don't even know the name of the person that built this house. His name was Ed Solvik. And he was an American, although he had Swedish and Norwegian roots. He turns out to actually have been an art professor at St. Olaf College who also designed buildings. I wonder who it is that built your house? Who poured the concrete? Who made the driveway? Who laid the sod? Who installed the bath fixture? Let me ask another question to drive this home even further. Who designed and installed the stained glass windows that are keeping you from seeing the snow? Anyone know? It's Bavaria Art and Glass. It was a small family company here in St. Louis Park that's no longer in business. And the guy's name who designed it was C.K. Schatower. Thanks be to God. I wonder who it was that grew the vegetables that you ate last night for dinner. I wonder who it was that manufactured the car that you drove in to get here this morning. I wonder what the name of the person was who sewed the clothes that you are wearing as you sit here warm and comfortable this morning. The antidote to name-calling and the illusion of self-made arrogance is gratitude and humility something with which I think those ancient Israelites knew all too well as they were led through the wilderness into a promised land that they did not conquer by the sword, but God gave to them and they moved in with their neighbors. It is, in fact, a God-filled world where God has gifted all of us with many, many things. So I offer you a challenge. In the day and age of the divisive political rhetoric, Can you see and hear with the eyes of a three-year-old? That's not nice. Can you offer a word of gratitude as you get into your car? Thanks be to God for whoever made my car. When you go to work, can you say thanks be to God that I have a place to work? When you sit down and have a meal with your family, can you say thanks be to God I have been gifted a family? And can you look your political opponent in the eye and say, thanks be to God, they too are a beloved child of God. I can't wait to watch my niece grow up and play more soccer. She gives me hope. Mom, that's not nice. Amen.